There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. More than any other chapter in the whole Bible, this is the chapter, the chapter that deals with resurrection more than any other place in the Bible. It's mentioned other places, but not like it is here. Really in-depth look at uh, resurrection. And when you say, well, which resurrection? Whose resurrection? Everybody's. First, starting with the Lord Jesus Christ, but his resurrection is our resurrection. We're even going to see tonight that the unbelievers will be resurrected, but it's not the kind of resurrection you hope for, uh, a resurrection of condemnation and judgment. So we, we're leaving off in verse, we're going to pick it up in verse 4, but I'm going to read the whole uh, beginning, for starting with verse 1, just to give you the flavor of where we are. Um, let's see, do I want to give you any more background? Well, let's just read and then we'll talk about it. So that I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Okay, great. And those of you on Zoom, say amen or wave or hold up an amen sign. There you go, Nancy and Glenn. Okay, verse 1, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the little introduction. Verse 4 continues about the resurrection. Uh, burial and resurrection. So what's going on is 1 Corinthians, you probably know, because uh, we're, we're 15 chapters in now, is a book Paul, the Apostle Paul writes to a church that he planted. He spread the gospel there, planted this church. It's grown immensely, but it's a very pagan city in which there are all kinds of practices that have crept into the Christian church there. So much of this book he spends answering questions, solving problems in that church. They're turning a blind eye to sin. There's divisions in the church. This chapter is written, besides being for our instruction, right, about resurrection, this chapter's being written, you're going to find out midway through the chapter, that there are those who they're allowing to teach in this church that say there's no resurrection. You say, well, wait, Jesus rose. He's already started with that. He rose. How could you say that? Exactly. He's starting with the gospel to show them that's the heart of the gospel. It's not a side issue. It's the thing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he's going to go through a series of hypotheticals, if, 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 and show you that we got nothing. We don't have a lesser gospel. We got nothing at all. So they're saying that Jesus didn't rise. You say, well, why would they do that? when there was so much evidence and is evidence and witnesses. He's going to go through the evidence, but he's starting with the gospel. The reason they're saying that is that there were pagan cults who believed, um, and the Gnostics, which come later, believed this. There was a lot of people around this time, especially in Greece. Remember, Corinth is in Greece, who said the body, the physical body, is basically evil. And the spirit is good. So the body doesn't really matter. We can't wait to be freed from this prison called the body. So when you die, the spirit goes on. Who cares about the body? Christianity 
treats the body very, very seriously. It's a very important thing. When we talk about resurrection, remember, we're talking about physical resurrection. Jesus, unlike what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, Jesus did not rise as a spirit. He rose physically. Yes, it was a glorified body that could go through walls, but in Luke 24, when he appears to the disciples, they're freaked out and they think they're seeing a spirit or a ghost, if you have King James. And he says, why, do, why are you afraid? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Handle me and see. A spirit, if I was a ghost, I wouldn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. Then to prove it, he says, you have anything to eat? And he eats a piece of fish in front of them to show them. It's He says, handle me and see. It is I myself in the uh, Greek. Thomas, Gospel of John, isn't there when he appears to the disciples. They tell him about it. He says, yeah, you know what? I'll believe it when I see it for myself, when I can put my hands my finger in his nail holes and put my hand in his side, then I'll believe. A week later, Jesus shows up, gracious as he is. If I was Jesus, I would go, okay, Mr. Doubter, right? He's so kind to him. He says, Thomas, here, knock yourself out. That's my translation. Go ahead, put your finger here and put your... Thomas responds with the words, my Lord and my God. The, the Lord of me and the God of me is really how it reads in Greek. And that's not like saying, oh my God, what a nice car. Or, oh my God, look how big my tuna sandwich is. It's, a Jew would never say, my God, my Lord and my God, unless it was God he was talking to. Because it would be blasphemy. Because he's man, but he's God as well. So, say again? And he didn't deny it. No, amen. No, exactly. In fact, his answer to that is, you believe because you've seen. But then he talks about all of us. Did you know that? He says, blessed are those who will believe and haven't seen. That's you and I. I've never put my fingers in his wounds. Maybe I'll get a chance to someday. In any case, last week we spent a lot of time on Old Testament scriptures, um, starting in verse uh, 3. Scriptures are mentioned in three and in four. Do you see that? According to the scriptures. Three covers the fact that he's passing on what he gave. He didn't make up the gospel. And he says that first importance, primary importance, number one, Christ died. Didn't swoon, truly died. You got to be a man to die. He bled out. He died. Second thing in that verse three is, he died for our sins. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. If you haven't done that, I suggest you do it. It's mind-blowing how much it ties in with the Lord Jesus' death. Vicarious sacrifice for us, for our sins. He died for our sins. According to the scriptures, Paul means, we said last week, the Old Testament. Besides Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, we talked about Psalm 16, which talks about that he won't let his Holy One see decay or stay in the grave. There's going to be a resurrection. Verse 4, that he was buried. Okay, this, this is, by the way, the most well-attested to fact of that era of history 2,000 years ago. More eyewitnesses, more books written about it, more historians, even secular ones write about it. 
that he was buried. Of course, you know, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and uh, raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You say, there's resurrection about Jesus in the Old Testament. Yes, we covered that last week. Get the notes if you don't have them. Um, but there's something else there. Jesus, when asked about a sign, remember we said last week, he said, the only sign, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Three days in the belly of the great fish pops back out, right? Jesus, three days, rises. One quick thing, because there's people that are detail-oriented. Most of you probably didn't think of this, but maybe you have or you've heard this before. Wait a minute. When did Jesus die? On Passover. What day of the week? Friday. Okay. When did he rise? Sunday. The fact that he rose Sunday, everybody believes. There are people that believe he was crucified on Wednesday and on Thursday. There's problems with each of those I won't go into, but the majority of Christian scholars believe he died on Friday. Okay. If you're already doing the math, you're going, wait, he died Friday, rose Sunday. How many days is that? Okay, here's the thing. A, a rabbi, I have the name in the notes somewhere, writing in the first century, uh, sorry, early second century, wrote that to Jews, a portion of a day is reckoned or counted as an entire day. So, is he in the grave part of Friday? Yes. Late Friday, they have to get his body in the grave before sundown. He's in the grave part of Friday. That's reckoned as a whole day. He's in the grave all of Saturday. Sunday morning, very little of it, but a little bit, he's in the grave Sunday morning, and that's when he rises. A part, a part, a part of Friday, all of Saturday, a part of Sunday, three days. He rises on the third day, if you will. Wanted to just mention that. There'll be no extra charge for that, thank God. Um, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, uh, let me look at my notes. I had a couple of things to say. Uh, well, we said most, most of them, didn't we? Um, we're going to talk about first fruits in a little while, which is a Jewish festival. Um, let's see. Raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Well, you know what? Let's do it right now, actually. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Um, okay. The Jews had a feast called first fruits, Leviticus 23. Okay, what's dictated in the Old Testament is when you're supposed to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits, okay, a Jewish holiday. And it happens to be, find when the Passover is, which is that Friday, right, with me so far? And then the Sabbath following Passover, that's Saturday. Okay, now we're with you, okay. It's the day after that Sabbath following Passover, which would be what? Resurrection Sunday what some call Easter. Resurrection Sunday is a better name. On that day, there was a, listen, a waving of a sheaf of grain. It was the first fruits offering. What does that mean? It means, let's say that Jim Foster here ha and Peggy have a farm of a thousand acres of wheat, and they've planted it, and they've been cultivating it, and watering it, and taking care of it, and now it's just about ready, and here's the first part of their harvest. Or it could be peaches or avocados, whatever you want to say. People have a tendency to be doubters, meaning, 
I want to give to God some of my harvest, but honey, we better wait until the whole harvest comes. Whew. Okay, it was all good. It didn't get ruined in a fire or bugs or gophers or whatever. People didn't steal it. Now we'll give. The Jews had this idea. Oh no, you don't give him the last part. You give him the first fruits. So when that harvest first came, they would wave um, a little sheaf of grain toward the Lord to say, we're so sure your promises are good and you're going to provide the rest of the harvest. We're giving you now uh, an offering of that harvest. With me so far? You say, well, that's great. What does that have to do with Jesus rising from the dead? Everything. Jesus rises from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits Sunday first day of the week. By the way, it's a bloodless sacrifice. Why? We just had Passover. That's the blood sacrifice. Jesus rises as the first fruits, just as in the case of uh, the fosters here with their farm, right? If they had one, um, if they give the first part of their harvest to the Lord, what they're saying is we so trust you. We know there's more where this came from. Jesus rose on that day to say there's more resurrections where Jesus's came from, yours, mine, everyone who's ever believed in the Lord Jesus and passed away. So that's the first feast of first fruits. Anyway, great little study. We could do more on that, but we'll keep moving. Verse four, he was buried, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Uh, and we talked about the scriptures last week. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's the, the sorry, Hebrew name for rock, Rocky, Peter's nickname. Appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. Sisters is implied. At the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. What's your point? Paul's treating this like a courtroom. He's saying there's tons of eyewitnesses. There wasn't one guy said, or I heard that somebody saw Jesus. There were all kinds of witnesses. It's interesting that he mentions that he rose, Jesus did. Um, first of all, let me say, the first people to see the risen Lord were women, right? Mary Magdalene and the other women. Why doesn't he mention that? Because in Greek court, it was the same as in Roman court, which was the same as in Hebrew court. A woman's testimony wasn't allowed in court. But I love that Christ elevates women, and those are the first people that see the risen Lord. You know why? Because they were looking for him. Peter, James, and John are hiding out in that upper room, looking out the window, peering through the little curtain, the little level or blinds, going, is anybody coming? Mary's out there. Where's Jesus? Right? I love it. He appears to them, but he appears in grace to two people that didn't treat him well. What do you mean? Peter, his best friend, denied him, right? Aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I never heard of him. No, no, he starts cursing the third time, right? And, and Jesus had predicted, you're going to deny me tonight three times before the rooster crows. You would think with that warning, he'd go, there's no way. In fact, he does say that. And there is a way three times, right? He denies him. And so Jesus shows up. Again, if I was Jesus, 
Okay, Mr. Denier, he's so gracious to him. He also appears to James, his half-brother, in the Gospel of John 7. James and the other brothers of Jesus, half-brothers, are ridiculing him. They don't believe in him. It says so, John 7. Also in Mark 3, I believe it is, the brothers and the sisters and Mary show up where Jesus is preaching. Do you remember that? And they want to take him home because they think he's out of his mind. He's saying he's the what? Messiah. Jesus? Oldest of the clan here? Come on. They think he's crazy. They don't believe in him. Jesus makes a special appearance to the brother, his half-brother James, who ends up becoming the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. The other brothers and James are with the apostles in Acts 1 as Jesus ascends. Pretty cool. That gives hope to me and you if we ever fall or doubt or screw up. Anybody ever screw up here? Don't raise your hand. Yeah, I know. I'll be first. Um, last week, we looked at Genesis 22. Isaac being offered by Abraham as a picture of Christ. I won't bore you with that again, but that's in the notes. That's an important thing to look at. Um, so the point is, he was seen resurrected by eyewitnesses. They were sure he died, and he did buried, and seen by eyewitnesses. Now, you want to split hairs. No one saw, no human being, saw the actual moment in the tomb, maybe a flash of light, and he came through the grave clothes. No one saw that. No one saw how the stone, which was too big for one guy to move, got moved, but it got moved. To let Jesus out? No, to let people in, right? He could go right through the stone. It's to let witnesses in. Nobody saw the actual resurrection, but they see his body. He speaks with them, eats with them, does miracles with the fish and what have you. Remember? Uh, anyway, it's very gracious that he appears. When it says he appeared to the 12, he, you want to split hairs? He means the 11 because Judas is gone by then, right? That's Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. Um, there's only 11 there. Um yeah, we talked about the women. Okay, what about this? Go back to the text here. Uh, appeared to Cephas, then, that's Peter, then the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500. He was appearing all over the place. The, the coolest one to me is on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples walking away, very dejected. We thought he was the one. Who? Jesus. And he starts walking with them, and it says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So they don't know it's him, and they're telling him about Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah, and he's dead now. It's all over. And he kind of chides them and says, you, you're slow to understand and what poor faith you have. And then he gives them a Bible study going from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, or Malachi if you're Italian like me. And he goes through every book and shows them, that was me. That was about me. That was me. And then he... Remember, breaks bread with them and disappears. And they turn around and go back to Jerusalem. I love that story. Okay, we digress. Um, after that, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though. Some have fallen asleep. You know what he's saying? They're still alive. It about, was about 20 years ago. You can go ask him. 500 at once. 
Well, you see, Joe, that was probably a mass hallucination. Remember we talked about that last week? By the way, you talk to psychologists, they'll tell you there's no such thing as a mass hallucination. Could one person hallucinate something? You ever use drugs and see things that aren't there? Could a whole group hallucinate the same thing? Impossible. Absolutely impossible. <clears throat> so you say, well, when did that happen? It's hinted at in Matthew uh, 28. Um, but we won't go there for now. Um, this is about 23 years after Paul wrote this. Uh, 23 years later, Paul is writing. In any case, um, let's go back to that verse again. Uh, more than 500 at the same time. It might have been right when he ascended. That's what some people think. Uh, most of whom are still living. He's saying, go ask him. Though some have, what does it say? Fallen asleep. I love that. The Bible talks about death as sleep because it's temporary. Remember when Jesus raises um, the little girl and he says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And people that are mourning there laugh at him. And he just says, get up, little girl. And he wakes up. Death, folks, for believers is nothing but sleep. Okay, one correction. Seventh-day Adventists and some others believe in a doctrine called soul sleep based on a few places in the New Testament where death is called sleep. Okay, what's soul sleep, Joe? Um, that's their idea that a Christian, the moment he dies, his body goes in the grave and his soul, the immaterial part of him, just goes into suspended animation doesn't go to be with Jesus. You got to wait for Jesus to return for the whole resurrection. In two places in the Bible, Paul corrects that idea. He knows he's going to be killed by Nero and, and, and says, my time of departure has come. He knows he's going to die. And I'm hard pressed, he says, because there's work here to be done. I'm paraphrasing. And I want to bless other people and witness and minister, and yet I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Not in a state of suspended animation for a few thousand years and then wake up. There is no soul sleep. The other verse is absent from the body, present with the Lord. The second a person dies, that's a believer, their spirit goes to be with the Lord instantly. Um, do we want to do the death thing, uh, the spirit thing now? No, but I'll introduce it now. You heard me say a minute ago, soul and spirit, okay? Like God, we are not gods, don't misquote me, but like God, like almost everything in creation, we've had this discussion, haven't we? Nature loves the number three. You ever notice that? Everything's three. Space, length, width, depth, time, past, present, future. Human beings, body, soul, spirit. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, matter, solid, liquid, gas. Um, there's others, but my point is the human being, you are a little trinity. You're not gods. I just mean you're three. Body, physical body, soul, your, it's, you're not your brain, but your personality, your will, your emotions, and then your spirit, the spiritual part of you, it's immaterial. One part is hardware, if you're a computer nerd, okay? That's the body. 
Two parts are software, soul, spirit. The second a person dies, think of it as a hand in a glove. The glove is the body. When the glove falls to the ground and dies, we may put it in a casket, bury it, say nice things about the person that died. Joe was such a sweet person. My wife's going, not that sweet. But anyway, the immaterial part inside the glove, soul and spirit, instantly go to be with the Lord. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little more when we come to the resurrection thing, because it's a little complicated. Because people ask, are you saying the body is going to rise. My grandfather, who was a believer that died 50 years ago, you're telling me his body's going to come out of this grave. That's what I'm telling you. What about his soul and spirit? They'll come with Jesus and they'll be reunited in that glove with the change that the glove, the body, will never be able to get sick, be injured, die, bleed, anything. It'll be a resurrected body, a glorified body like Jesus. Uh-oh, you have a question. Remember, we're on Zoom, so it's got to be one sentence nice and loud, and I'll repeat it for the Zoom people. Right now, in heaven, she's, what she asked was, you're saying in heaven, it'll be all spirits. Okay, remember, right now, we're still on the earth. Jesus hasn't returned. So the resurrection hasn't occurred. So let's take my parents, for example, Marion and Sam Sherino. They both passed away. They're buried in San Jose. Their bodies are there in the ground. They both believed. I believe that their immaterial part of them is in heaven. Yes. Maybe they have a temporary spiritual body. I don't know. But when Jesus returns, we're going to have to do this now, I can tell. And when Jesus returns to the earth, he will bring with him, I'll show you scriptures that say this, everyone that's departed that believed, the cloud that comes with him is people. And graves will open up and bodies, it's going to be like Night of the Living Dead, but in a good way, right? Like a weird horror movie, but like, whoa, this is trippy. And the, the spirits and the souls of those people will go back into those bodies, but they won't die. They'll be glorified bodies. Um, but in heaven, yes, my parents, I don't believe, have their bodies right now. Their bodies are in the earth. Some people have asked, wait a minute, some Christian, Peter died 2,000 years ago, Joe. If you opened his grave, there'd be nothing left, not even bones, dust. Maybe. If God, who created man out of dust, wants to put my parents' bodies back together. You think he's incapable of that? No sweat for him. Well, my uncle got eaten by a shark and my sister burned in a fire. And you think God couldn't put them back together again? No sweat. Resurrection. We'll talk more about it when we get there. But good question. Let's keep rolling. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. Zoom. Anyone sleeping? I'm looking at the screens. Okay. I see the amen sign. All right, this is important. Like I said, sometimes we whip through chapters. This is one you get out of the car and walk around. It's the Grand Canyon. You really want to take a look. It's the, it's the Louvre. Okay. Appeared to James, all the apostles, um, all that whole group in verse 6, all the apostles, and then verse 8. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Before we get there, I just noticed in my notes a whole different thing. I got to try to do it quickly. There have been over the centuries, especially in the last 150 years, several really, really, really smart people 
who have decided they were going to research and disprove Christianity, especially the resurrection of Jesus. In the early 1900s, there was a guy named Simon Greenleaf, who was the professor royale of law and a co-founder of, wait for it, Harvard School of Law. He was the world-renowned and still is expert on evidence. He wrote a book that's still used on evidence in, in law. His students, who were Christians, yes, Harvard was Christian at one time, said to him, you're the expert, he's Jewish, by the way, Greenleaf, Simon Greenleaf, why don't you research the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? So he did, intending to disprove it. He wrote a book called The Testimony of the Four Evangelists, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, saw that there was irrefutable, airtight evidence that this guy rose from the dead. He became a Christian. Same thing with Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict. Lawyer intended to disprove this whole Christian thing, ends up becoming a Christian, and his son is taking over his ministry now. Same thing with Lee Strobel, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. Read his books if you have a doubter in your family. Man, those books are so good. In any case, uh, if you're going to explain away the resurrection, you've got a monumental task. The disciples, who admittedly are... Uh, afraid of their own shadow, right? They're denying Jesus. They're hiding in the upper room. A few weeks later, they're boldly, publicly proclaiming, he rose from the dead. Eleven of the twelve apostles end up dying martyrs' deaths. We'll kill you unless you renounce Christianity. Well, go ahead and kill me. I know it's true. you got to explain, how did these guys change like that? Willing to die for a lie? In the 70s, there was the Watergate scandal with Richard Nixon. That was a conspiracy. You know how long it lasted? Two weeks until somebody started talking. Why would the disciples fake the resurrection and die for it when they knew it was a lie? Well, they made a lot of money. No, they didn't. They went through so much pain. So, uh, Let's see. Yeah, we talked about some of those theories last week. We don't need to do that again. The other thing to remember is that Jesus predicted that he would die and rise from the dead. So if Jesus doesn't rise, he's a false prophet. You got to consider that as well. Okay. Paul calls himself one born out of due time. I like this. Human beings, normal birth, nine-month gestation period, right? In the womb. Ladies, can I get an amen? <laughs> uh Paul did not have the three-year gestation period that the other apostles had. Jesus has already been dead for a while. Paul doesn't believe. He's hunting Christians to kill them and imprison them. And Christ gets a hold of him on the uh, road to Damascus. Do you remember? So he says, I'm one abnormally born, born late, born strangely, in other words. The word is ektroma in Greek. It can, it can mean a stillbirth, an abortion, a miscarriage, an unusual birth. And so he's saying that he appeared to him last of all, of all the appearances of Christ to each person, John, James, Peter, 
all the apostles, that crowd, he appeared to him last. Uh, from that, there have been some who have said, well, it wasn't really the last one because, and there's televangelists on TV that say this, he appeared to me two weeks ago on a Tuesday, and boy, we high-fived and we talked, and not according to this verse. He appeared last to Paul. I'll leave it at that. So, last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Verse 9, for I, Paul, am the least of all the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Went around having Christians arrested and killed. When Stephen gets stoned to death for believing in Jesus, Paul's there approving of it, holding the coats for those who are throwing the rocks. From that, he becomes an apostle. If you're going to write off the resurrection of Jesus, you've got to tell me what would change Paul. All the suffering that he went through, he's going to mention it now. He says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. By the way, who deserves to be called an apostle or a believer? None of us. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach the resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent, he's going to talk about the rest of the chapter, resurrection of all believers one day in the future. It's the hope of the Christian church. He's going to explain that. Let's look at verse 10 again. Notice the word grace, grace. Do you see it? Three times in verse 10, by the grace of God. What's grace? Good things that you don't deserve and you can't earn. Grace is the opposite of wages. If I hire somebody to build me a garage for $30,000, we make an agreement and he builds the garage and I pay him 30 grand, that's not grace. That's wages. It's deserved. But if that same person builds nothing for me, but I find out he's a friend, a brother, whatever, and he's hurting for money and I give him 30 grand, that's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. That's the way you're saved, not by works. You don't earn it. He doesn't owe it to you. You don't deserve it. Grace, grace, grace. Paul can't say it enough in that verse. By the grace of God, that's why he's an apostle and he is what he is. His grace to me was not without effect, meaning I believed he's having me work for the gospel, plant churches, write he writes 25% roughly of the New Testament. If you take away the Gospels, he writes two-thirds, Paul does, of the New Testament, not counting the Gospels. No, I worked harder than all of them, and yet he quickly stops the boast and says, yet not I, verse 10, toward the end of it, but the grace of God that was with me. Anything you and I do for the kingdom of God, it's his grace. It's his ability. It's his opportunity that he created in our lives. We can't take credit for anything we do for the kingdom of God. The grace of God that was with me or within me. Verse 11, whether then it is I or they, meaning the other apostles, this is what we preach. It's a united message. And this is what you believed. He's reminding them you believed it when we told you about it. That's how you became Christians. How are you allowing people to preach in your church who don't believe Jesus was risen from the dead? 
And they don't believe in resurrection, period. Physical resurrection. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can, this is where we learn there's people in the church saying there's no resurrection. How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? That's what we preach. That's what you believe. He's reminding them of the gospel. And now all of a sudden you're changing not a minor point, but the heart and soul of the gospel. How? It's a rhetorical question that there's no resurrection of the dead. The answer I gave you earlier, it's the paganism of Corinth creeping in where they believe the body's evil and the body, we can't wait to get rid of the body. You just go on as a spirit floating around somewhere. There's no bodily resurrection. So now starts all the ifs. Verse, uh, well, it started in 12, actually. Look at verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, if they're right, these people teaching that the body just rots in the ground and that's it. There's no resurrection of the body. Then what, Paul? Then not, first of all, then not even Christ has been raised. The way that Jesus paid for our sins was on the cross. Okay? Payment. Think of it that way. The payment for our sin, he took our punishment. What's your point? The resurrection, the empty tomb, is the receipt. It shows that God received that payment and it was paid in full. Tetelestai, right? Paid in full. So they're preaching there's no resurrection. He's saying, you got to consider, are you still Christians if you believe there's no resurrection? Then even Jesus hasn't been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Translation. Then you're still in your sins, he's about to say, right? And we're preaching useless stuff. It's vain. King James has, I believe. It's worthless. Then Jesus has been reduced to some great teacher who might have done some miracles, but he's dead just like we said last week. So is Buddha, so is Muhammad, so is Abraham, so is every father of every religion. The death rate, Walter Martin used to say, is one per person, not Christ, risen from the dead. But if he hasn't been risen, it's a waste. It's a lie. Then he didn't rise from the dead. That makes Jesus a liar because he said he would rise from the dead. It makes the disciples a liar. Um, and it means he didn't defeat death. Death beat him. Where did death come from? Genesis 3. The sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's where it all started. That's the curse on humanity. That's why people get sick. That's why there's sin. That's why people die because of sin. The wages of sin, Romans says, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. If he beat death, he has to have risen from the dead. He's already given you the proof, all the witnesses and what have you. Um, Christ hasn't been raised, and if he hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. Let's close up the church. Forget it. There's nothing it's interesting, the other religions, their founder is dead, and they're still meeting. Well, we listen to his teachings, and was Jesus a great moral teacher? Yes. But read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and I leave it up to you. Go ahead. 
try to live up to it. Because in the middle of that, those three chapters, he says, what does God really want? I'll tell you, be, I'm hoping he's going to say, as good as you can be. You know, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, just do your best. God understands boys will be boys and girls will be girls. You know what he says? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's how perfect to be. At which point the Jews, if they were listening, should have said, oh, come on, that's impossible. And he would have went, right. That's why you need a savior. You can't do it. But if you can wear my righteousness in faith, then it's possible. Okay, most of you are asleep, but let's keep rolling. Verse 14, go ahead. Maturity or completeness. You're absolutely right. She's saying the word perfection means be complete, be mature, which the same thing stands true. You're right. None of us are fully mature. None of us are complete, are we? Um, okay, 14. If he hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, 15 says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. You know what the definition of blasphemy is? A false statement about God. If I say I'm God, that's blasphemy. If I say that's God, that chair, or that person is, or God is a woman, or <clears throat> anything that's false about God is blasphemy. So uh, we're found to be false witnesses, liars about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, did, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead aren't raised. He's saying if you're going to say the dead aren't raised, that includes Jesus. So we got nothing in this whole gospel. Consider the evidence he's mentioning. By the way, minor point, but I'll throw it in. This verse here says, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Right? Is that right? Yes. Did he? Yes. But John 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Oh, contradiction. God the Father raised him. Now you're saying Jesus raised himself. No, it's God either way, right? How do I know that? Because if you go to John chapter 2, it's right around verse 19 or 20. He says, the next sentence is, but the temple he had spoken of was his body, not spirit floating around, only body. So who raised Jesus from the dead? The Father raised Jesus. We get that. Oh, Jesus raised himself. Romans says the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, so the Holy Spirit. Okay, another contradiction. No. Everything that's said about one member of the Trinity, almost without exception, is true for the others. God created the heavens and the earth, Rome, uh, Genesis 1.1. Colossians 1 and John 1. Jesus created everything that is. The Spirit was hovering over the, the surface of the waters. They're all involved. It's interesting, whenever you see a major event happen in the Bible, the Trinity shows up. Like what? In the Annunciation to Mary, there's the whole Trinity there. In the, a better example, easier, because I don't have to turn there, is the baptism of the Lord Jesus. The Trinity shows up. 
Who gets baptized? Jesus. Who speaks from heaven at the same moment? The Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember all that? Uh, what about the Holy Spirit? Descends in the form of a dove. They all show up. Same thing with the resurrection of Jesus. Shall we move on? Uh, if Jesus is still dead, there's nothing to believe in in Christianity because you can't live up to a, the standard that he presents. Um, do we want to go there now? Uh, I think we do. Um, I said earlier, um, let's see, is it here? Um, no, yeah, we, you know what? We better wait because I don't have the verse uh, in front of me. But we can go to Daniel 2. Let's do that, our first little detour. Actually, you know what? Let's wait because we have our two-minute break right now to stretch our aging bodies. I'm going to go away for two minutes on Zoom. I'll be right back. Those of you that are here, make sure you say, introduce yourself to someone you don't know. I'll be right back. Don't go away. All right, we are back. Find your seats back there, those of you that are snacking and nibbling. It's all good. Find your seats, if you will. Oh, look at you. Thank you. Look, look. see what you're missing? Chocolate-covered strawberries and regular strawberries. But if I eat this now, what? Oh, there's peanut butter? Oh, thank you. Wow. See what you're missing? You need to show up in person. Okay, find your seats back there. Turn to Daniel, the book of Daniel. I want to show you something. And Daniel 12 is where we want to be. So Old Testament, if you can't find Daniel 12, that's all right. Um, I want to talk about resurrection, physical resurrection. You, you're a Christian, so you probably already understand and believe that you as a Christian will be physically raised out of the body, as I mentioned. What I want to show you is unbelievers will also be raised. I'll show you here and I'll show you in John. Daniel 12, at that time, Michael, the great prince, this is talking about the end, uh, the end of time, the, uh, the, who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. A lot of people put that with Matthew 24 as the great distress, tribulation, thalipsis in Greek, it's the same word. Um, but at that time, your people, believers, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Resurrection, mass resurrection. Um, will awake. Some to everlasting life, that's believers. Others to shame and everlasting contempt, that's judgment of unbelievers. Okay, now go to the Gospel of John. Somewhere in my notes I have this verse. I'm winging it, so I hope I find it. John 5. Uh, oh, I found it. Praise God. John chapter 5, in New Testament. Um, let's pick it up in verse 24, John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, 
eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he's a son of man. Don't be amazed at this. Here it comes, 28. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Whose voice? Jesus' voice. Don't miss it. All who are in the graves and come out, verse 29. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned, judged. The resurrection of the just and the unjust. Um, that'll come up again in 1 Corinthians, but anyway, I wanted to just throw that in again at no extra charge. Um, okay, now I'm looking at that. We can also go to Revelation 20, but we're, we won't do that now. But that's another passage where believers have already been resurrected and unbelievers are resurrected and judged. Um, yeah, do we want to go there now? We might as well. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You say, I'm tired of all these detours. Well, that's keeping you awake, so that's a good thing. First Thessalonians, way toward the back of the New Testament, where all those books start with T, two with Timothy's name, and First Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to tie in what I said earlier, that you are body, soul, spirit. Two of those three are immaterial. You can't see my spirit. You can't see my soul. You can see my body. You with me? God can see all three, by the way, and communicate with all three. She said, would it take all three to make a living being? I think it make, takes all three to make a, a living human being. I know there, uh, yes, um, not a chimpanzee or something. Yeah, uh, yes. I know that there's people wondering about controversy time. Don't listen if you don't want to get confused. There's people talking about, okay, what if they can, and they probably can by now, clone a human being? Does it have a soul and a spirit? Only God can give it the breath. That's right. Breath is spirit. Same word. Ruah. Right. So is that, is cloning man taking things yes. way too far? Yes. Absolutely. Doing what God only can do? Absolutely. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers, talking to Christians, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Talking about Christians who have died. We all have known, have we not, Christians who have passed away. I mentioned my parents earlier. I don't want you to be ignorant, he says, about those believers who have died. Or I don't want you to grieve, I'm still in verse 13, like the rest, the rest of men who have no hope. Listen, if I thought my parents are gone forever and there's no hope and they're rotting in San Jose and that's it, I would think, what's the purpose of what's this all about? He who dies with the most toys wins? No, he who dies with the most toys is still dead, right? That's what it should say. We believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus, he's talking about when Christ returns, those who have fallen asleep 
in him. Does he mean the bodies? No, the bodies are still in San Jose for my parents, but the spirits, the immaterial part of Marion and Sam Sherino is in heaven. And when, Christ, when God tells the son, Jesus, it's time. He'll come to the earth and this verse says, and others do, he rose again, and he'll, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, believers. According to the Lord's own word, verse 15, we tell you that we who are still alive, he's talking about that moment when Christ returns, who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those or go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's an order. First fruits, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. Next, who's, who rises first in that big resurrection? Believers. Okay, um, let's see. Come down from heaven with a loud command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, be bummed out because there's no hope. Is that what verse 18 says? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. If you're lucky, you might live to be 90 or 100 or 100. And, I have an aunt in New York that's 104 years old. That's great, but you know what? It's nothing compared to eternity with God. It's a spit in the ocean. In any case, go back to, uh, you know, we could go one more place just because your fingers are getting a good workout. Go to Luke 16. I'll show you an interesting little story because we, um, somebody from this Bible study talked to me about this last week. Go to Luke 16. This is keeping you awake, whether you know it or not. Luke 16. There's a long story here. I'm going to paraphrase it for you, okay? It's the story starting in verse 19 of the rich man and Lazarus, okay? A contrast between two men. One guy is rich. He's got everything. He's having a great time in life, and he's not a believer. He's headed for hell. The other guy is Lazarus, who's a very poor person, but he's a believer. Two opposite spectrums in faith and in social strata, if you will. Lazarus, uh, the rich man lives in luxury, and Lazarus is a beggar covered with sores. Oh, the poor man. The time came, verse 22, the beggar died, and angels carried him to Abraham's side. We'll come back to that. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. Okay, the unfortunate translation, it's not Gehenna, eternal hell. It's Sheol or Hades, the place of departed spirits. I'll come back to that too. In hell, in Sheol, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in agony. Okay, what the heck is going on here, you say? Old Testament had the word, Hebrew word, Sheol. New Testament word, Hades. Same thing, two different words. Sheol or Sheol, Hades. What are they? The place of departed spirits. 
where people went Old Testament after they died. You mean the bodies? No, bodies go in the ground. I mean the immaterial part, spirit, soul. With me so far? Before Jesus, this is when he's teaching this, Luke 16, he hasn't died on the cross yet. So at that time, the place of departed spirits had two compartments, if you will. Picture it like one side and then the other side looking across the Grand Canyon, okay? One side is called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Got it? Who's that for? Believing people. Well, Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. Believing Jews, okay? All who believed in the true God. When they died, the body went in the grave. Their spirit went to Abraham's bosom. Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith. He's the father of all who are faithful, Galatians 3 says, and Romans as well. So one side, we're going to make it this side of the room, sorry, you guys, is Abraham's bosom. The faithful people went there. Got it? That's where the beggar named Lazarus went. By the way, there's scholars that think this is not a parable. What do you mean? Every parable has no names, no proper names. There was a certain man with two sons. There was a man with a kingdom, a king who had two sons. There's a personal name here, Lazarus. Some scholars think this is a real story. Lazarus is a believer. He goes to Abraham's bosom. He's not suffering in the afterlife. They're awaiting the coming of the Messiah who will die for the sins so that they can enter heaven. With me so far? I know this sounds like science fiction. Say amen so I know you're awake. Okay. The other side of the place of departed spirits, Hades or Sheol, sorry people over here, is for the people that don't believe. Okay? They're going to go to hell. They're awaiting hell. What's interesting in Luke 16 is this rich dude that would never help Lazarus and didn't believe, he dies. He goes there. He's already suffering. Verse 23. Uh, he's there in torment. He looks across the Grand Canyon and sees you people, you know, having some strawberries and some chocolate-covered whatevers, and he says, hey, I'm in agony in these flames. Dip your finger. Isn't it interesting? The rich man is still ordering people around. Hey, tell Lazarus to dip his finger and get over here and help me out. Who are you? But Abraham replied, verse 25, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. Besides this, between us and you is a great Grand Canyon. Okay, it doesn't say that. A great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Then interestingly, he says, well, then I beg you. Here he goes ordering him around again. Send Lazarus back to talk to my family. They don't believe. Warn them so they won't come to this place. Abraham replied, verse 29, they have Moses. And the prophet, they have the scriptures. Let them listen to them. No, he said, but if someone rises from the dead and goes to them, they will repent. He means Lazarus. But God, speaking through Abraham, says, verse 31, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone, meaning Jesus, rises from the dead. Okay, so... 
We got the two compartments. You with me so far? Place of departed spirits, Sheol or Hades. Abraham's bosom, paradise. Jesus on the cross says to the thief on the cross, do you remember? Truly, truly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in this side. Because he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? He's done nothing wrong. He's sinless. Okay, what's your point, Joe? When Christ died and paid for the sins of the world, we don't have time to go there, but there's a verse in 2 Peter and there's verses, I think it's in Colossians, that talks about the fact that Jesus went in those, time, in those three days in spirit, he went and preached in Sheol. Judgment to these people. Sorry, you guys. Next time you'll be the good people and they'll be the sinners. He preached judgment I've come to pay for the sins of the world. And he preached good news over here. Guess what? I did it. Come with me. And they go up with Jesus to heaven. So that now in 2023, on May 9th, ever since the resurrection, if a believer dies, you don't go to Abraham's bosom, paradise, that side of Sheol. That side of Sheol is empty. You understand why? Payment's been made. You were a believer, absent from the body, boom, present with the Lord, right? Your body gets buried, but the immaterial part of you goes up to await the resurrection when there'll be a reunion in your body. Totally confused now, including me. Let's move on, shall we? Back to 1 Corinthians. Um, let's see. And we were so far, so long gone, I don't even remember where we were. Um, Verse where? 18? No, we're beyond that, aren't we? No, 18. And those who have fallen, oh no, yes, before that. If the dead aren't raised, verse 16, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is vain, futile, and you are still in your sins. Meaning you're still wearing all that guilt. You got to pay. It's the only other option if he didn't rise but he did. Verse uh, 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. All the believers who have ever lived, he's saying, if, if there's no resurrection, they're gone forever. It's too late. They're all lost, every one of them. Have you thought this true? That's what he's saying to the Corinthian church. If that's uh, what you're going to believe. Okay, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because we, believe, we have this hope in the great by and by, and it turns out when you die, it ain't true. He didn't rise from the dead. We all believed a lie our whole lives. It just, it makes no sense. It's a pitiful joke. If, if Paul has endured being whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and imprisoned and persecuted and beaten all for nothing, no wonder the most pitiable. The only hope they have is when they're alive and then the Christians have nothing. As we said last week, Romans 10, 9, and 10, the heart of the gospel, if you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The resurrection is a key, essential doctrine. It's not peripheral. You can believe 
different things about the timing of the rapture. You can believe different things about speaking in tongues, not about the resurrection. That's what Paul's saying. It's it's the heart of the gospel. Without the resurrection, we don't have a Messiah. We don't even have a great teacher. We have a liar who said he was going to rise and he didn't rise. Do you see what I mean? He's a sinner, Jesus. But it doesn't fit, does it, with all the evidence, with all the witnesses, with all the miracles he did, with all the wisdom he spoke. Okay. Um, verse 20. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. The first fruits, there it is again, of those who have fallen asleep. He rose, so all that believe and fall asleep will die will eventually be raised this very same way. The first fruits, using Old Testament uh, terminology. Verses 20 through 28, he's going to answer the question, not the what resurrection, it's the when. When. And then after that, he's going to talk about the how of resurrection. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. He knows it because he spoke to him, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He taught him, Jesus did, God did personally, Galatians 1 talks about. Verse 21. Now we're going to get into the whole reason Verse 21 is going to explain every single bad thing on planet Earth, bar none. Imagine that, all in one verse. You ready? For since death came through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, verse 22, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Translation, there's such a thing as the federal headship. I don't mean federal like Washington, D.C. I mean, Adam, listen, was the representative of the whole human race. So if Adam had said, Eve, put that fruit down, don't eat it, don't listen to the snake, let's get out of here, then all of his descendants, you and I, would still live in that perfect world, never get sick, never get die, and never die, never be injured, never sin, how mad at Adam are you? <laughs> he screwed up. Listen, every time you've sinned, every time I've sinned, I stamped my stamp of approval on Adam's stupid decision to disobey God's command. However, the second Adam, Romans calls him that, Paul calls him that here, Jesus faces a remarkably similar test. Adam, listen, Adam was tested in a garden regarding obeying God, regarding a command involving a tree. Did you hear that? Both men, Adam and Jesus, were faced a temptation in a garden. Adam, it was Eden. Jesus, Gethsemane. Regarding a temptation, don't eat of that one tree. Remember that? God tells Adam. Satan says, oh, God doesn't have your best interest in heart. Look at it. It's good. You'll be like God if you eat it. A temptation regarding obeying or disobeying God regarding a tree. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane. What's the tree? The cross. Peter calls it the tree. 
Okay? And Jesus says, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. Because he knows how heavy it's going to be, not only to die and bleed out in a torturous death, but to have God the Father put all the sin of the world on him. Jesus passes the test when he says, not my will, but your will be done. Adam fails the test when he says, not your will, but my will, pass me a piece of that fruit. Strawberry. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I couldn't resist. Um, so, uh, this verse is explaining that the reason you have to lock your doors, the reason there are hospitals and doctors and caskets and funeral homes and cemeteries and pain and sickness and divorce and child abuse and murder and wars and a thousand other bummer things all comes back to this. That's why we live in a fallen creation, Adam and Eve. Don't blame them. You might have done the same thing, Eve, Adam, Joe. The point is that Jesus reverses the curse of the Garden of Eden. What happens when they sin? They're kicked out of paradise. Jesus pays our way back in to paradise by faith. What else happens? God tells them, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You mean they died that day? I believe, some scholars don't, I believe they died spiritually that day. Say again? Yes, yeah, because that is they day really one. Yes. So if they, um, they also were able now to get sick, one chapter over, you know what happens? They have a kid and another kid, and one kid kills the other kid, the first murder. Whew. All the bummers of planet Earth can all be traced to the Garden of Eden. Yes, but I'm a Christian. Why am I in pain? Why am I going through this family struggle? My, my finances, my... We live in a fallen creation. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And someday in heaven, all of this, all your trouble, all your pain, is going to feel like 30 seconds in the third grade. I don't even remember the third grade. Exactly. Boom. That's all it was. I know it seems like a long time if you're in a hospital bed watching me on Zoom or you know someone that is and you're suffering for them because you love them, it's all worth it. Okay, um, we didn't talk about that, but we did talk about that. Um, verse 21, death came through a man, that's Adam. There was no death before Adam. If you believe in evolution or theistic evolution, you ever heard of that? Theistic evolution is, well, I believe God created the heavens and the earth, but he, he took a couple hundred billion years to do it, and it's evolution, but it's God guiding the evolution. If you believe that, then you have death before Adam and Eve. Biblically, it's impossible. There would be no... God sees that the end of creation... Every day, he says, and there was the sun and the moon and the stars, and God saw that it was good. You remember that? On the seventh day, he rested, and he saw all that he had made, and you know what he said? It's very good. It couldn't be very good if things were dying and eating each other and people were murdering each other, and there's no evolution. 
God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know, I just threw it in. In Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Jesus has to be the second Adam. He's got to die because the wages of sin is death. He's got to die in our place. The ironic thing is, he didn't deserve to die. You do, I do, we're sinners, right? He does it out of love for you and me. How much does he love you? This much, right? It's awesome. He dies in love to reverse that curse. Okay, so verse 22 is the hope. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, okay, little asterisk here. Let me just say, technically, he really means all the believers. Okay, we'll be made alive. We'll rise from the dead. Wait, I thought you said everybody rises, even unbelievers. They do, and that's how some people take this verse. In Christ, everybody's going to rise. Believers to everlasting life. Unbelievers, he's going to be their judge, right? Revelation 20. For since, uh, the, let's see, wrong verse. Um, yeah, 23. But, uh, yeah, so in Christ, all will be made alive. But now he's going to go, but what about the order? When, how? Let's start with when. Verse 23. But each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then when he comes is the word parousia. It's a Greek word. It means visible coming when he shows up. Okay. So Christ has to be the first one. And then those who are his at his coming. Okay. Detour again. I know you're tired of those. Turn to Matthew. I'm winging it again. 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew 27. Seven. Yeah, there it is. Matthew 27. I'll give you a second to find it. What's going on in Matthew 27? Jesus is dying on the cross. Okay. Um, I'll give you a second to find Matthew 27. This is the only place in the whole Bible where I'm about to tell you this trippy thing happens. Okay. It's not mentioned anywhere else. I'm not saying it isn't true. I'm just telling you, you can't find another verse to confirm this but I believe it happened. And it's weird. Imagine that you live in Jerusalem and you and your family are believers and you've got a sister that believe, or you're a grandmother that believed in Jesus and she died and now Jesus has died. Got the picture? Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, I could do an hour on verse 51, I won't, uh, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs, graves broke open, verse 52. And the bodies of many believers, holy people who had died were raised to life. Did you hear that? They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And then Matthew just goes on. I want to go, whoa, 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 back up, Matthew. I want to hear about this. Who are these people? In my analogy, you know, I have a family. My grandmother died. She believed in Jesus. Now, two years later, Jesus has died. Grandma is going to show up Sunday night for dinner, right? Like, what? What? 
Did they die again? Was it a resuscitation like Lazarus and some of the others? Are they truly raised and did they go with Christ? It's a little foretaste of a mass resurrection that's going to, excuse me, occur when Jesus returns. We're going to run out of time soon, not quite yet, but um, I want to introduce a subject to you and we'll talk about it next week because it's going to come into play a little in the beginning of next week and then again toward the end of next week. And that is, there are doctrines that everybody has to believe if you're a Christian. They are put together in things like the creeds. You find it in the word, repeated again and again, certain things. Example, Jesus was fully man and fully God, the son of God who died for the sins of the world and rose on the third day. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. The Bible is God's word. It's complete. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. All of those things, if you don't believe any of those, come see me because those are important. We're saved by grace, not by works. It's a free gift through faith. Okay, there's other essential doctrines. What's your point, Joe? I'm going to talk now about a doctrine that's not an essential. Christians can disagree about this, and that is the rapture of the church, the timing of the rapture. What's the rapture of the church? Jesus said he would come again, right? The second coming. It's predicted. Paul talks about it. John talks about it. Jesus talks about it. It's in several places. It's going to come up next week in 1 Corinthians, okay? Everyone, no matter where you fall on the timing of this event, everyone agrees that's what he's talking about in verse 23. Each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, meaning his resurrection 2,000 years ago, he's got to be first, yes. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, parentheses, what's implied there is, that's when they'll be raised. The question is, is that the second coming or a separate thing called the rapture, or are the two things the same? And if there's a rapture, is it before a seven-year tribulation, during a seven-year tribulation, or at the end of the seven-year tribulation, which is the second coming? Um, at the risk of losing 90% of you on Zoom and here, I'll just tell you, most of you know, I believe what the Christian church believed for 1,800 years, virtually unanimously, that the second coming is the rapture. And it goes, wow. And it comes after the, <laughs> nobody threw anything while I'm still alive, after the tribulation. I'm going to show you next week because we're here. I'm not trying to just peddle this doctrine to make enemies. I got enough enemies. I'm going to show you, I think this, this chapter and First and Second Thessalonians and Matthew 24 and Revelation teach it in spades. Okay? Listen, why did, why did you say it's not an essential? Because it's not. And if you believe with all your heart, and I know a few people in this room right now that believe, I love you, Joe, you're totally wrong. He's coming for us before the tribulation. So we may talk about that a little bit next week, and uh, if anyone shows up. Let's close with prayer for right now. There's a lot more to be discussed. The point is, you, as a believer, have a glorious resurrection and future. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we could study your word together. 
Um, your word is so awesome, God, and it is a supernatural book, and I'm confident if we reviewed the chapter next week, we would see other things in it we didn't see this week. And same thing if we do it next year and 10 years from now. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that this world, although it may look hopeless when we read the headlines and watch things going on, it's far from hopeless. We have tremendous hope in Jesus Christ. We indeed will rise again. We indeed will see departed loved ones. We will live with you, Lord, forever. With that in mind, may we change our whole view of this world, which is passing away, and view the things that are eternal, the people and the word of God, and you, with a certain greater value than we've given them in weeks past. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord. I'm not anxious to die, but if I die tomorrow, uh, I know that my body will rise again and I'll be absent from the body and present with you. Thank you, Father, that your son conquered death, reversed the curse, and blesses all who believe. Thank you for this time, Father. Bless these truths to our hearts and minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's very important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless. Thanks for being here. See you next time.